Cincinnati. Gosh, it's sunny. It's 85 degrees. It's beautiful outside. Little wallflowers, Sixth Avenue heartache. Good way to start the Saturday morning. I hope you're having a great day. Uh, welcome to the well. My name's Sean Barkley, and I'm so glad to have you as a part of our 15 to 20 minute conversation about life and faith and how to live wisely in this world. And I was reading the newspaper as I do every day, and um, came across a story about a member of Congress, U.S. Congress, the House, and I, you, you listen to this program, you know that we are not political, and we don't, certainly are not partisan. If you uh, listen to sermons at CrestviewChurch.com, you know that we don't talk about politics because we talk about things that unite us rather than divide us, but, so this is not political, you all, but I was listening to this well, I was reading this newspaper, and this member of the House, been there for umpteen years, probably too long, uh, when he was elected, was a person of pretty modest means, had a kind of a modest home, and now, years later, he has like five houses and bank accounts stuffed with cash, and he considers himself a public quote-unquote servant, I, I debate that. I mean, are, is he a person being served by the public or a public servant? But as I read that, I kept thinking, that guy's just a taker. Um, he is always looking for a way to take advantage of his circumstances and take advantage of the people that he quote-unquote serves. And it prompted me to think, let's all look in the mirror right now as we think about living faithfully and wisely and ask ourselves this question. Am I a giver or a taker in life? Would I characterize myself as someone who gives? You know, in other words, do I look at a person or a situation and do I think, hey, what can I add here? What, what can I give? How can I help? How can I add value to this person's life or add value to this organization or add value to this situation? Or... Are we takers? Are we thinking, hey, you know, what's in this for me? What can I get out of him or her? How can this person add value to my life? Uh, I see it in church from time to time. People will say from occasionally, it doesn't happen as much as it used to, well, the church just isn't meeting my needs. And, and I understand what that means and I understand where that's coming from. But really what that person is saying is, I'm here to receive. I'm not so much here to give and to contribute. I'm here for the church to add value to my life. I'm not so much interested in adding value to the church. And I think you and I can both agree, there are givers and there are takers in this world. And most of us have been in both categories, truth be told. I know that there have been seasons in my life where I have been far more a taker than a giver. And I hate to even look back on those. There's a great story in the Bible that I want to study with you this morning, the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you probably know the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. We're going to talk about the implications of that. He was despised in the community because he was a taker. And he has this encounter with Jesus. You might remember the story. He climbs up in the sycamore tree, and he's looking down, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to come to your house today. I'm going to eat with you, and I'm going to stay there. And everybody kind of mutters about this, Zac you know, why would Jesus stay with a quote-unquote sinner? And so we learn a lot about that, and Zacchaeus has a life-changing moment where he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my life. I've had this encounter with you. I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. And Jesus says, today salvation 
has come to your house. Let's unpack the story together. Zacchaeus, this tax collector, was a Hebrew, a Jewish person. He understood money. I mean, he knew how to make it. Do you, do you know anyone, or maybe you could even say this for yourself, who just has the ability to make money? They just understand money and markets, and they just seem to have plenty of it. Well, he was one of those people. In his day, in the first century, century Israel was occupied by Rome. Now, see, the Romans did it differently than the Babylonians, for example. When the Babylonians would conquer a territory, let's say Israel, they would carry off people into exile, take them back to Babylon. So think about the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. He's carried off into exile. The Romans did, didn't do it that way. When Rome would conquer a land, they would allow the people to stay there, and they would not enslave them. they just tax them to death. And so Israel was occupied by Rome, and Rome taxed them to death. Uh, and they would, the Romans, employ locals to collect the taxes. And it became an extortion racket. Because what they do, these local tax collectors, in bed with Rome, yet still a part of the community, would say to their fellow countrymen and women, um, here's how much you owe the Romans. Now I'll kind of trim a little bit off of this if you'll pay me a little something on the side. And so they would essentially extort money from, again, their fellow citizens. Well, you can imagine tax collectors were despised. I mean, who wants to hang out with someone, first of all, who's in bed with Rome, who's loyal to Rome, who wants to hang out with that person, and also who's extorting money from me, someone who is a taker and not a giver. So Zacchaeus, this tax collector, he had given up on having friends. He had given up on enjoying community with his fellow countrymen and women. Instead, he had opted for money. That was his life story. But apparently, he had learned what many of us know, hopefully all of us know, and that is that having lots of stuff and lots of money does not make us joyful, does not make us content. And so he thought, this Jesus I've been hearing about, I want to hear what he has to say about a new way to live. And so Zacchaeus was very eager for this. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, that's what we're studying today, in verse 4, we read, that Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming and ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. And I linger on the words ran ahead because in first century Jewish culture, wealthy men did not run. Children ran. In some cases, maybe women ran. These wealthy men, they did not run. Yet he was so eager to see Jesus, he lifted up his, essentially his robe, his garments, his skirt, exposed his legs and ran ahead, this tax collector. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. If you remember that, son has left home. He's had a terrible lifestyle. The father sees the son at a great distance, and even though the son has disgraced the family, when the father saw the son, what did he do? He lifted his garments and he ran to greet him. You see, just like the father was eager to see the son, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He was looking for a new way to live. I'm tired of being a taker, and I want to live as a giver. Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in the tree and said, Hey, come on down. I'm going to go stay at your house tonight. We're going to have dinner together. And the text says that, quote, All the people muttered and said, He's eating with a sinner. Now, in, in, again, in the Bible, in the New Testament, some people mutter, but rarely does everyone mutter. But everyone muttered. 
They couldn't believe that he was doing this. I, frankly, I'm glad he did it. I like to hear it because if he'll stay with a guy like Zacchaeus, that means he'll stay with a guy like me and stay with a person like you. Well, during his face-to-face -face time with Jesus, Zacchaeus felt something different. He was stirred and he decided, I'm going to make the transition in my life. I'm going to go from taker to giver. I've given taking a try for all these years. It's not working out. There's got to be a new way to live. And so he said, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. Now you can imagine if Mrs. Zacchaeus was at the table, she was probably thinking, uh, could we have maybe talked about this before you made this decision? Half going to the poor? But he said, that's what I'm going to do. Jesus replied in verse 9 of chapter 17, or excuse me, chapter 19, today salvation has come to this house. After Zacchaeus made that declaration, the word salvation, when you and I think of salvation, what do we think about? Heaven, I'm saved, I'm saved from my sins, I'm saved for heaven. But the word salvation itself also means to be delivered or to be healed. And so transitioning from taker to giver literally delivered Zacchaeus from that hamster wheel of life. You know, a hamster just goes on that wheel like crazy. The rat race that he was in, always looking for more. He was delivered from that when he decided, I'm going to find a new and different way to live. You see, this encounter that Jesus had made all the difference for him. Giving and being generous is really God's design for his people. You think about the Old Testament, and God established the concept of tithing with Israel. You know what a tithe is? 10%? Basically what God says to his people is, okay, I'm going to bless you, and I expect you in return to give 10% of everything, the first fruits that I bring into your life, give those first fruits back to me. Here's why I want you to do it. One, as an expression of trust in my provision, and two, to further my kingdom work. In other words, you share the first tenth of everything you get with me. You harvest the rest. You know, that, that was an agrarian culture and society back in those days. And then you even leave a little bit for the poor to come and glean. And so when you and I live as takers, what we are saying is this. A, we don't trust in God's provision. We trust in ourselves. We're paranoid. We have a scarcity mentality. And B, we do not see ourselves as partners in God's kingdom work. When we transition from taker to giver, we are saying, God, I trust in your provision. You are the good and wonderful God of the universe. I believe you. I know you. You have said you'll care for me. I'm going to give you the first tenth. I'm going to be generous and I'm going to be a giver with my time and my resources. When we become givers, we say to ourselves, you know, I see what God's doing. I see his kingdom work, and I want to partner with God in doing this. So let's talk for a few minutes just about what it means to be a giver. Being a giver, and I'm going to give you a couple of my thoughts here. Being a giver means that we look for opportunities to add value to the lives of the people around us that we are alert for opportunities to give, to help, to share, to enhance. Uh, we have an eye for the people around us, the situations we're in, and we're always thinking, what do I have to give to add value? Now, as a pastor, it really is. I, I tell young people all the time, if they express any interest in going into ministry, do it. it is a, it's just a wonderful life, and I, I'm so blessed. I, I love it. 
And over the years, I've been blessed to talk with a lot of people near the end of their life, um, and maybe even at life's end. And I've noticed a theme. They express some regrets. Almost everyone does. But they don't say, I regret what I did. They don't say, I regret the mistakes that I made. They tend to say, I regret what I didn't do. The risks I did not take. The opportunities that I missed. Those are the things that we tend to regret in life. Just those missed opportunities. And I've thought about that over the year, years and tried to think, how do you define that? And I kind of looked around and, and traced it, really this concept all the way back to Benjamin Franklin when he talked about actual cost versus opportunity cost. Now, you didn't think you are going to get an economics lesson here, but stick with me. Actual cost. Actual cost is what we actually spend. It's an expense on a balance sheet. You spend $100, $100 comes out of your bank account. That's an actual cost. Opportunity cost is a little more subtle. It's a little more hidden. It's, it's the loss of potential gain due to inactivity. It's a missed opportunity. It's the failure to take a risk. It's being satisfied with the status quo. And a lot of us pay great opportunity costs because, again, we don't want to take any risks. We're, we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about the status quo and how comfortable we are. Opportunity cost was the story of my life for many years. As a leader of churches, I was afraid to take risks. I was content with the status quo. I wanted to play it safe. And I would look around and see all these people out there. They're talented. They're faithful. They're gifted. They're generous. They're intelligent. All these people have these incredible gifts. And yet I did not encourage them to unleash those gifts because I just didn't want to rock the boat. When I look back at my life, I'm going to be like those who I am talking about right now who say it's the missed opportunities that bother me the most. And so we start looking for opportunities. We see every encounter as that opportunity. And then from there, we start to say, how, how can I help? How can I add value? Um, as we transition from, from taker to giver, we start looking at that person who is in our path that organization that we are in, whether it be a church or civic group or whatever the case may be, that neighborhood, and we say, what are my opportunities? And we start looking at, am I adding to this situation or am I depleting or taking from this situation? Am I allowing that person to share how I can help him or her? Or am I thinking about how he or she can still help me? Remember, our concern is with serving that person and adding value because we're givers, we're not takers. And then we start to consider all right, here are the opportunities. What do I have to offer in this circumstance? Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, when he said to the church, you give in proportion to what you have. In other words, you take inventory and stock of what you have. You understand what your gifts are. You understand what your schedule is, your time, your resources. You take inventory and you give from that. That's obvious, right? But here's what I want to say. He did not say... <laughs> um, Give in proportion to what you do not have. Think about that. Give in, to proportion, in proportion to what you don't have. In other words, um, if we start thinking about what we don't have, what everybody else has, uh, we start thinking about our, how our resources are scarce, how we don't have much to offer. In other words, don't let what we can't do keep us from doing what we can. And so what will you be, a giver or a taker? 
I hope you have an awesome week. We'll let the wallflowers take us away.